Hi people and welcome to episode 9 of Awfully Good Waffle. My name's Jindy and today I'm presenting a one hour special in collaboration with Frontline Therapist. We are going to be demystifying some key terms used in therapy. We'll talk about why now might just be the right time for you to reach out for help. And why does representation in mental health matter? We're going to talk about so much more because as usual we'll go a bit ad lib with it. Esther, welcome to Awfully Good Waffle. Please introduce yourself and your Instagram handle for the listeners. Fabulous, thank you. My name is Esther and I am a mental social worker, life coach and psychotherapist and I'm the founder of Frontline Therapist, which is an online platform that helps black and Asian people have access to affordable counselling and also access to mental health resources to help them identify their mental health struggles and kind of just um, encourage them on their journey to mental goodness. Um, you can find um, Frontline Therapist at in on um, Instagram at Frontline Therapist. Thank you very much. I'll come back to what inspired you to set that up. Mel, welcome and thank you for wanting to be a part of this conversation. Can I ask you to do the same? Give us an intro about yourself and why this topic is important for you. Sure. Hello. So as you just said, yeah, my name's Melissa. I'm a mum of two, a primary school teacher, uh, recently completed a master's in social justice and uh, education. Uh, really just looking at the injustices within the education system as a whole with a particular focus on race but um, quite recently I've got interested in mental health I think it's the children's aspect being using my experiences within school and seeing the effects that certain things in society have on children's mental health this topic has really been of interest to me. Excellent and Esther like I said I really want to group on your expertise what inspired you to go down the psychotherapy route I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind for others who who might be inspired to follow your path I guess I was just really really interested in the mind if I'm really honest if I knew that um in medicine psychiatry was an option I always thought medicine was just surgery when I was younger I just thought it was all about blood um I was hoping to become a psychiatrist um because I'm really interested in the mind and why people do things. So uh, after my social work degree, I wanted to go deeper and I was just looking at things and I was like, well, I'm not going to do medicine. <laughs> so um, I thought, oh, you know, I do psychotherapy. Um, you know, looking at different psychological courses, looking at psychotherapy. And then, yeah, I just it kind of just happened in my search of what can I do to understand um, the mind and the internal workings of individuals better and yeah stumbled upon um, psychotherapy and, and took my particular course mm-hmm. and the years and years and years of further study to become a psychotherapist so it kind of just happened but yeah come coming from an intrigued and interested place and I've always been interested in psychology interested in the mind and understanding mental health and of course with my own mental health struggles as well I think in hindsight that's probably one of the biggest um, uh, motivators as well unconsciously motivating me to go down this route as well. So many people have this misconception that if you have mental health concerns inverted commas that you can't go down the route of becoming a professional Mm. and help others which is such a myth so Esther something that comes up on my feed a lot is a phrase that if you don't heal what hurt you you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you and I found that so powerful and then I read your post which was this idea of an emotional footprint that we leave emotional footprint what do you mean by emotional footprint it's kind of basically your impression or your impact um Hi. on others and on 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 your life um in terms of your feelings and how how you feel um what is the footprint that i guess you would leave behind or what's the footprint that's been um impressed upon you uh, but yeah I would, I would actually say my definition of that um is what is the impact um that you have on others or you've been impacted by others because I think we live in an interdependent world where everything is connected even though we might feel um, discreet from other people but what's happening on one side of the world can affect us on, on this side of the world you know so yeah I would say the emotional footprint um, is your imprint or your impact not only on the world um, but on others and how you are 
also impacted by others and both positive and negative. Mm. See, that's really interesting. Just when you think you've understood a post, right? When something comes up on your feed and it's like, oh, that really resonates with me. Because I was looking at it more like, how do I affect others? How, do, how does my failure take responsibility maybe for, I don't mm. know, you know, when you're in a bad mood at home and you're not being very conscious of how that's playing out. And now, consequently, your husband or your partner's having a part of the mood. Yeah, no, but you're right. I think on a microscopic level, then, yeah, it really is about your actual immediate environment and making people conscious that, you know, whatever you're going through, both positive or negative, affects people, both positive or negative. So to be aware of that and to be conscious of um, of just how you behave and how you think and feel because you're not in a silo. And um, I know we haven't gone on to it, so I might just say this, that the, one of the important things about mental health is your perception of how the world sees you and how you fit into the world. It isn't just about how you're thinking internally or feeling internally. Mm. Thank you. I think for anybody that's really visual, I really encourage listeners to go and check out Frontline Therapist on Insta. We'll obviously post the handle um, with this podcast because... I'm a very visual learner as well. So alongside the words, I need a visual explanation to help that sink mm -hmm. in. And that post really, really helpful. Mel, is there anything that you wanted to say? Well, only as I'm listening, I've got to apologise. My family have all come in. Oh, I did try. All right. We all um, <laughs> as I was listening, I thought of it exactly the same as you did, Jindy. So I thought of it on a much smaller scale. So I know, I all, I'm always very conscious of the transference of energy. So when I like you were saying about when you're in the mood and you transfer that mood and then everybody, the, the whole atmosphere just drops and things like that so that's how I've always looked at the emotional footprint but it does make so much more sense on a grander scale so that's something I've definitely got to think about yeah definitely I'm guilty sometimes of listening to people talk about their trauma and use that word and I'm sitting there thinking like wow if this is trauma I'll take it which is, I'm not going to beat myself up for thinking like that because this isn't about trauma lottery. Who wins? Mm. The biggest trauma. But am I alone in this? Is this is this a thing? I'm I'm with you with that to some extent, Jindy. But then I'm also on the opposite side because for me, if that's somebody's truth and that's someone's experience. That is, uh, who am I to question it or to say, well, that's not that important or that's not that deep or that's not that bad, for example. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So that's where I'm always at. So even sometimes I might think it in the back of my head. There's always something which comes to me a little bit later and I'm like, well, actually, who am I to say that that's not as big, as bad as what I would experience or what I, th I think could be worse? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. I do. I really do. And the thing is, I thought I checked myself. But I think it's also because my failure to deal with some of my traumas is leaving me in a place where there's this kind of passive resistance to other people's. You know, like they say, right. you, yeah. Can't, yeah. you can't water somebody else's garden when you've not tended to your own. Right. I wonder yeah. whether that might play a part in why I... I'm not dismissive. I don't think any of my friends would accuse me of being dismissive. But there's just, I'm always having to check this little behaviour inside myself going, wow, first world problems. Like, yeah, and it's yeah. that I haven't dealt with my own shit. Esther, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I think trauma is banded about, I, I always say this, when words are being redefined, they go to an extreme. So you have that in everything, like toxic masculinity, um, trauma, narcissism. There's just so many words that when people re they kind of relearn something, they everyone says it, and then it kind of slowly gets to a point where I think the true meaning comes out. Um, and I think trauma is one of them. I think people are saying it in everything because people are trying to understand what trauma basically is. Um, um, there are, you know, I guess. Trauma, in a sense, is defined as an event, um, a distressing or deeply disturbing event that kind of, um, you know, infringes upon your your personal boundaries, and also, um, you know, 
is is a response to an emotion to an event, so a really terrible incident or event, both um, one time or actually you know over a period of time. Um, so there are potentially what we call small T's and big T's. So small trauma, big trauma. You know, you could likely say it's um, also subjective. What is a small trauma to you could be a big trauma to somebody else. But there are some trauma that we would all agree are like really traumatic, like rape or or death of a loved one, um, or death of a parent when you're young, or you know maybe a kidnapping, a car accident, um, and then there, are, there maybe there's small T's um, which could be like you know. Um, it's difficult to say because small, you know, bullying can be a big T to someone and be a small T to another person. Um, but maybe legal trouble, financial worries, um, and maybe getting fired from a job. You know, that, that's traumatic, but it might be a smaller T in terms of the the long term impact it has emotionally on the person. So I think it is important to say, um, but um, like Melissa said, it is subjected to another person. However. There is nothing wrong with being truthful and say sometimes you feel insulted by someone someone else's trauma because you're like, well, I've gone through some major traumas and you're telling me that this thing, okay, is really traumatic to you, but in the bigger scheme of the world, isn't even that a major thing. It's so traumatic, but I went through rape or whatever it is. So it, it feels like it diminishes the trauma that you've gone. So, and I think a lot of people do feel like that because if you've gone through really deep um, childhood trauma particularly and then someone says oh I broke up with a boyfriend I was beat for just for three months you're like what seriously yeah. seriously is that what well you know not to say that's not impactful for you but let's not compare apples and oranges is that you know mine's an orange and you're an apple we're not doing olympics here <laughs> so I think there is a, there is cases for that however um, I think it's important to say is that you know people's predispositions are different you know for some people and I said so many people who you know I, I assess them and sometimes I'm kind of like it's not always a good trait I'm thinking I'm trying to I'm waiting for the, the big T. I'm like, okay, I want to hear, you know, what is it that really happened? Mm-hmm. And it's just very just little, little things. And you just think, oh, wow, you know, everyone's so different. That that little, little things that happened in growing up really has impacted them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're thinking, oh, wow. You know, when you see how distressed they are, mm-hmm. you're kind of waiting to hear, like, yeah, you know, you know, what happened? Some rape, abuse. And it's just like, no, I just had a lot of arguments with my parents. And like, Okay, okay, okay. You have to remind yourself that everyone's trauma is different and be like, okay, so how does that impact you? It's more about the impact it has on you than whether it's a big T or little T. That's basically yeah. what I'm saying. But I don't think your feeling um, is also wrong because I think it's an honest reaction to thinking, like, do you know what I've gone through? Like, you know, and that's what you're complaining about. So mm-hmm. I hope that kind of answers it and the nuances within that as well. So much sense. Like, not only have you made me feel more human and okay about my feelings, but here's the thing. Like, what you just said there about predisposition, I think that's the key. Understanding and respecting the fact that we get wired in a certain way. So say somebody's got, like, the 2.4 family perfect scenario, you know, parents were around. You know, I'm I'm trying to think of the stereotypes of what good looks like does not mean that those stereotypes are in fact what good looks like but Mm. and then you think about that person getting an outlier so it's that phrase isn't it born with the golden or silver spoon in their mouth and then boom something hits them now that may not be my level of hit but if it's an outlier outside of their norm then i i kind of get it based on what you said like that could parents divorcing like that's you know, I wish my parents would have divorced. We would have had a much better situation at home. You know, mm, yes. I compare myself then to somebody who aspired to have the complete opposite of what I was wishing on. Mm. Uh, give an analogy because said so your visual and some of your listeners will be visual. So there's thing there's a thing called the um, bent penny um, analogy example. So imagine. Um, as we're born we have pennies and they're stacked up and they're so they're aligned quite well so if you put them on the table they're not going to fall over so you've got you know two loving parents or two two caretakers um, that love you that you live in a secure household you're not moving up and down um, you don't go through any sexual abuse or physical abuse or neglect no bullying you have a good childhood um, in terms of status, disability, growing up, all of that stuff. 
Um, and then maybe one or two things happen, maybe um, the death of a grandma or something, and it, the, the penny bends a little bit, but the stack of pennies below that is quite strong and sturdy, you know. Um, that's what, you know, when you talk about secure attachments, that's what a lot of some people have, you know, the kind of ideal kind of uh, attachment and strong constitution because your foundation is quite stable. But then what happens when people go through trauma um, at a young age, whether we want to call it small T or not, is that you start with bent pennies. So maybe the first year is a bent penny because some people go through really terrible things. Or maybe your first years is um, are aligned pennies, but then from three, four, five on is kind of bent. Then you see how topsy-turvy it is. As you know, if you stack pennies together, that it's not going to stay like that. It's not, it's not going to be secure. And then if you, you have a bad relationship and the, the penny just drops. So that's kind of like the analogy to say how people experience life and their predisposition. So when someone else um, has got a lot of bent pennies and maybe they've really bent it and they've created, how can I describe it? Like they've changed the shape of the pennies to such a point, but it's still sturdy, but it's, they're all bent. That's when, you meet, that's when you meet a person who's quite strong and has got a hard exterior, but it's because they're actually covering very, you know, vulnerability. Then you meet somebody else and you just touch me all fall down, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you meet somebody else and he's pushing each other and you just can't, you can't get them to fall down. So just an example of like an analogy of how people kind of are brought up and then why um, experiences in life can knock somebody off their feet and then somebody else is just like, oh my, what is going to knock you off your feet? And somebody else is not being knocked but they're, they're making sure they're just very heavily defended against. So mm. just, just another example, another analogy to kind of understand like child development and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Mel, from the point of view of being in a classroom environment and, you know, we like to think that adults have the language to be able to communicate their feelings. And I've probably demonstrated already I don't. but you know is this you said you know you've got an interest being a teacher being a mum is this something that you know is needed in schools like some more awareness is there anything that you've heard that kind of makes you think wow as teachers we need to know more about this because it's harder with kids or is it easier I don't know um it's quite interesting you say that because literally within the last couple of years child mental health and mental well-being has really sort of like come leaps and bounds so you'll have you'll have the most schools will have some sort of therapist who will come and do play therapy or art therapy sessions once a week with specific children but now as a whole the curriculum and um, the sort of energy around the whole idea of mental well-being and mental health um, in school is changing and so for example I've been on a mental health first aid course and things like that you don't have to be um, qualified therapist or psychologist to be able to do these things but they just want um, as many adults on the premises to be able to identify certain signs or certain behaviours which could be um, displaying um, sorts, some, you know, when children are showing emotional signs of emotional um, struggles or challenges. So it's definitely something that's needed. It's definitely something that is being addressed at the moment as well. Oh, it's good to, it's good to know. And I think you know, for parents who are listening and anybody who's got nieces, nephews or children of the family, mm. I think it's just good to know because we... You know, oftentimes with this podcast we centre it around an adult audience but of course forgetting the fact that we've all got some kind of care and attention for people mm-hmm. who are younger who may not have found language yet mm-hmm. to express. I was thinking also about then we talked about the little t and the big t and then you get the term PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so here's the thing Person- personally this isn't something I can say that I've experienced but I, I, ha- I feel, with no qualification, that I've actually witnessed some serious breakdown in people who I thought were the toughest not going after the, um, the murder of George Floyd. It was so traumatic watching the video. I've actually witnessed family members randomly burst into tears in front of me. Mm. And that's so... 
I'd say powerful, humbling, worrying. I didn't know what to do. So good old Indie Fashion did nothing and let them just have some space. Just grateful for the fact that we were letting out of their system. This is what we're doing as a society. I labeled that as PTSD, but actually I've got no idea what the symptoms or signs of a loved one having PTSD could be. Actually, what is the definition? If it, if indeed it's possible to define it, right? Because some of these things are so broad. Hmm. Yeah, so I guess um, PTSD is a type of anxiety disorder. Um, and it, it's developed, you know, after either witnessing or um, being part of traumatic events. Um, and I guess the, the most obvious example is that war veterans um, and the typical symptoms of PTSD um, are usually, you know, vivid flashbacks and um, feeling that like the trauma is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Intrusive thoughts and uh, or images, nightmares, um, intense intense distress of um, at real or symbolic reminders of the trauma, and then physical, you know, sensations um, such as pain, sweating, nausea, trembling. People might feel alert uh, or feeling on edge. Um, you know, trying to avoid feelings or memories um, and difficult beliefs or feelings. So um, then there's also complex PTSD that people have, particularly um, people that uh, have had sustained traumatic um, abuse. So, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse or, you okay. know, um, of that. But I guess um, people are realising that PTSD is not just for war veterans or people that are in court car accidents or terrorist incidents, but a lot, you know, a lot of particular, a lot of our young black men and women um, that in gangs um, or growing up in a state, seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing at that young age or people that experience domestic violence or, you know, children um, that's, that see their, their, their parents um, go through, go through that. Um, I'm not sure I don't know the experiences of your loved ones that broke down, but maybe you know, of course, seeing um Droid Floyd beg for his life if you've ever been in situations where you feel um at, at the mercy of somebody else or helplessness or you know, feeling like um if it's particularly in this in this sense of, of racial stuff, like you're you're at the bottom of the barrel, which in aspects, you know, unfortunately, that we can, we can be, um, that's very traumatic. Um, obviously, depending on your loved ones and the age and when they were in the country just 40 years ago, you know, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs, um, yeah. being called um, the N word for a lot of people's lives. Um, so th- those were all. You know, maybe not back in the day, but now people are realizing more and more that well, that was trauma. That was um, so. You're going to have experienced flashbacks or be triggered. Now, um, I don't. I always tell people to really be honest with you. Is uh, people care so much about being diagnosed, and I think it's important. But sometimes it's just about knowing. Okay, this is what it is. I can finally understand it. But in all honesty. To be diagnosed with something, then it's about prognosis. So if you're not looking for a prognosis, then why do you want to be diagnosed? Um, diagnosis helps with treatment, but a lot of people don't want treatment. So I always tell people it's not about diagnosing, is it PTSD that I'm going through? Is it is it psychosis I'm going through? The question is, is how does this impact you? How How is the flashbacks or how are the symptoms that you've mentioned that like crying uncontrollably or crying at, at something you've watched, how is that impacting you rather than oh, um, are you suffering from PTSD? Because once you're told that, then what what do you what do you gain from knowing? Mm. Um, not saying you shouldn't know, I'm just saying that we're, I think we're in the age of everyone trying to diagnose something. Oh, I've got a narcissistic mother. Oh, um, oh well, okay. Um, you knowing that is uh, helpful to understand that, but I don't think the diagnosis. Um, <laughs> we were heavily looking for diagnosing, so I guess that's basically what I'm saying to to challenge that. That I don't know if it's important to know if it's PTSD, but what is important is that that watching that video, watching someone die, watching someone die so um, so 
so the person so callously kills somebody else is what triggered them and about exploring where did that where does those feelings come from how do you why and how do you connect with that is it because you just connect with that because another black person or you connecting with that because of your own experiences so that's what i think is more important going on a journey with that person to why and let's see where this is coming from then oh is, is these symptoms of ptsd does that make sense yeah I, totally yeah that makes perfect sense so let's focus on the label and the diagnosis because it's not as productive as talking about and exploring where it's coming from and what that represents for us mm -hmm. as individuals yeah you said it perfectly i wish i could say that in like um, 10 seconds by the way those words came from you like i'm processing what you said that was a, a legitimate question based on first-hand experience where i was like we and and it's demonstrating the fact that i sound like i'm virtue signaling right or people are so using labels but we're all doing it including me my immediate need my need selfishly was to be able to give it a label to then understand what's going on to then feel like I could be productive and helpful. That was just mm. the go-to in that situation. And actually what transpired was exactly what you just explained. All I had to do was just sit, listen, give space, and just create space as, as, as required. And, yeah, I think that's really, really helpful. Mel, anything you want to say on what we've discussed before I move on? No, it's just really interesting. I'm just, I'm just listening. I did make notes because I, <laughs> I'm here diagnosing members of my family, <laughs> <laughs> which is really quite sad. But it, it, yeah, it's just really interesting. Yeah, and I think there is something really powerful. Maybe not labels, but language. Language mm. is a behaviour that we've kind of acquired. Um, over a period of time like many other skills as humans and I just and that's my interest area I guess language is something I really hone in on semantics yeah. um, and I think it there's a reason for that because it's the most powerful thing used in media and everything that we understand today yeah. um, for example a post that really triggered me was you know it's by a, a site that I really value and I follow them because I like what they post um, mm. in terms of female kind of space and feminism mm -hmm. but there was something about no innocent life should be taken like this dot 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 and I really zoomed in on the word innocent because for me no life should have been taken in that manner yeah so I felt like and I got really hooked on the word innocent mm -hmm. who are we judge and jury mm -hmm. and I you know and then I started to get like, annoyed and upset and then I was like oh I can't follow these people anymore and I think there's something to be said. I'm not saying everybody's like me, but I think there's something framing. Mm. It's really important how we frame things to understand them, not necessarily mm -hmm. label things to understand. Mm. I think there's a need to decouple the two things. Yeah, it's, it's it's difficult because for me, I'm oh Google's my best friend and things like that. But for me, the diagnosis provides some sort of comfort. I, I exactly like what Esther was saying though it's like well where do you go from here now I know now I think I know that this is what it is but where do I go from here that's fine but there's still some comfort in the diagnosis even if yeah I don't know why for me I was triggered way before um George Floyd well not mm. way before because it was only a few weeks before but Ahmad got me that was what really set me off um so by the time, well, the unfortunate event of George Floyd came around, I think I was almost numb to to the whole well, movement or situation that happened. So it's it's it was yeah, it's a difficult sort of concept to really break down. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's um we get desensitized yeah different stages of our own personal experience that's the word yeah and then kind of the more institutional stuff and then the more sy systemic stuff so the, the things i noticed in my parents generation was that they had fully accepted systematic racism and institutional racism when i say accepted they decided that they were going to find their own workarounds. It is, mm. a, it's reality. And so we're going to find our own systems of working around it. Mm. That I struggled with as a next generation 
was the interpersonal stuff, the more casual racism hurt. Mm. And then there was a disconnect, as far as my parents were concerned. If no one's standing in your face with a baseball bat, you haven't got a problem. Mm. And um, I grew up in um, National Front Norfolk in the 90, late 1980s, early 90s, where National Front was rife in Norfolk, East Anglia. Mm. We were the only Asian community. And they understood that they were white. We were of colour. And there was, you know, there was physical violence. There was verbal violence. But it was the verbal stuff that hurt more. My dad already taught me how to fight. I had no problem mm. with a physical fight. And I, I started to think about generational trauma, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of things that trauma is triggered by something. Please redirect me if I've heard this wrong, but, you know, usually an event that we've experienced firsthand. My understanding of generational trauma is something that's passed down through the family. Those cycles can be hard to stop. Now, again, is that generational trauma? Do you have to have experienced something firsthand for it to be traumatic? Yeah, that, that, would, that would be considered generational trauma. I guess it's linked to what they call epigenetics and the fact that I think there's been some research into um, Holocaust survivors and their descendants right. and how the descendants of Holocaust um, survivors, how they are triggered by certain stimuli, but they've never gone through the um, concentration camps mm -hmm. and how trauma changes the structure in your brain thus changes your genes so obviously when um, uh, um, you're made um, from both parents and those genes that have been changed by the trauma of your parents or parents parents then impact yourself even though you've never experienced um, the trauma that particular type of trauma and also to, obviously things learn is that the whole idea between nature versus nurture um, if you if your parent is depressed and always um, which so it gives you a higher risk of being depressed as well. But then you learn to um, you observe and obviously you take in from your parent the way they they respond to life situations. Then how much of that is obviously genetic and hereditary, and how much of that is also learned um, and absorbed in because you're being raised by a, per a parent that's depressed. So um, yeah, that's kind of, you've explained it perfectly well. That's what generational trauma is. Um, and it's about breaking that cycle and breaking those patterns. Um, you're not, you, know, you can't be chained and trapped by your genes. So although we recognise that um, mental illness can be hereditary, it doesn't mean that um, you have to accept it as a life sentence. You know, you can change. Um, the same way trauma changes the brain, but love and healing can restructure the brain back, you know. So, um, yeah. I the question. It does, and there's hope for us yet. Like you said, if you balance it out, there's hope for us yet. I, th I think that's the thing with um, one of the things that frustrates me about certain circles of my world, um, and I don't mean personal, probably more professional. When people talk about Black Lives Matter movement, they talk about it like it's something new. And for any of us that have either lived in the Black community or Brown community, we know it's not new. Esther, you're blowing my mind right now. So I'm just going to take a pause. Brilliant. Oh, oh thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I digress. Thank you so much for therapy, Esther. You're going to have me on a retainer, literally. Me <laughs> too, <laughs> we too. Okay, so this has me thinking about how much representation matters in respect of mental health. What do you think, Esther? Hmm. Um, I think that's a very very good question and um i guess that can link into why i started frontline therapist and i think on a simple level um i always have to put this disclaimer up because i think it's really important for your listeners to know that psychotherapy and counseling training doesn't equip um counselors or psychotherapists to deal with um mental health disorder because mental health like physical health is just about your well-being if you're trained as a counselor or a therapist then yeah you're trained in you know mental well-being but in all honesty uh, most people in my training course would not work with the clients that i've worked with um mm -hmm. and um partly because the course doesn't get people up to um work with people with severe um 
emotional issues. So, um, but as I was a social worker and I worked with people with psychosis and bipolar and schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, all types of the, uh, mental disorders, the severe kind, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, doesn't, what do, what do you call it? It doesn't um, astound me to work with clients like that. So, as, so that's, that's, that's the type of group demographic that I was actually working with in terms of both a social work fashion and counselling fashion. So when I was working with a number of people, um, obviously people were being referred to me and I didn't have the capacity to see them. And there was just this one woman in particular old enough to be my mom, come from the same background as I did. So in that sense, I just felt this strong feeling of like daughter mummy too, and I just couldn't help her. So mm -hmm. I referred her to another lo local um, um, organisation. And when she went there, when I saw her just say, oh, you know, how did it go? She basically told me they referred her right back. Um, now, whenever I tell the story, I do forget to say that I didn't refer her. She went there. So they didn't necessarily know maybe that um, she was told by the, the hospital. Um, so when they told her to go back, I just was really annoyed because it was like, but well, we told her to go to you. So why would you refer her right back to us? Yes. Um, and it was just so disheartening because I just felt that this is someone who, yes, has schizophrenia, but is just about managing to put the mind together from her family um, so because she really wants to talk to somebody. Anyways, cut long story short, um, it grew out of a frustration. I just felt there wasn't enough um, low-cost um, counselling services um, for for um, black and brown people or anyone that's non-white. And, and also, I have a lot of white clients in our service, but it was just more, that was the connection. It was a black woman uh, who had mental health issues who wasn't able to get the counselling she needed because obviously on the NHS you get it's limited and there's such a big waiting list. So that's kind of how frontline therapy started. So in terms of representation, I did think it was important because um, when I was seeking my counsellor um, over seven years ago, I wanted a black therapist. My therapist happened to not be black um, because I, I loved her. And she said, the first thing she said to me was, I'm, I'm, you're black, I'm white, let's talk about it. And I thought, okay, I like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the black therapist I saw because um, I wasn't looking to be spending £50 to just know if I wanted to meet you. So I saw free, £150 was enough to pay for. Um, but the black therapist that I saw that was like, oh my gosh, this is the person I want. I found, I just didn't connect with her. I felt that she was cold. She told me to take off my shoes. I just thought, oh my God, this is not the therapy experience I want. Why is it so mm. clinical? Mm. I just sat right in front of her. It was just, it, it was just a stereotypical therapy mm. that I saw on Fraser that I did not want. So I went, <laughs> With my, you know, with my, my white therapist but I remember the desire because I really wanted to see somebody that looked like me that at least maybe had an understanding of what I went through um, um, yeah just you just felt like you on the superficial level and I was on the deep level because for some people it can be superficial you can meet a black therapist like I said I did there was just no connection I just felt like oh bloody hell this is like this was this was not good um, but you can meet a black therapist and it's just like oh my god I'm seen I'm heard I'm understood um, and I think that's what people need even if it's superficial even if another white therapist could actually do the same work with you but just for the sense of feeling heard and seen and valued and seeing your yourself mirrored back I think is important um, and also it, it might even help to deal with any um, racial issues because I actually assessed somebody that um, a few weeks ago that had internalized racism she said, I don't like being black and I said to her I think you need a black therapist and that's why I've come here I was like okay brilliant mm. um, yeah. so I, I think that it's important it's not the only important thing I will hand um, I would say I've got an amazing um, white counsellors in my service um, who are, are working with um, black and brown and, and and they are both the clients and the counsellors love each other like they so it, it doesn't have to be but if you want that I think what I'm really trying to say is about the choice and there was like this lack of options yes. and choice that you only get given what you're given and I think what I really wanted to create is the choice you don't have to come I think it's 60 40 40 percent of people come into my service don't mind and then 60 percent do so there is still a large part of people that don't really care about um, skin colour or culture. They just want a good therapist. So above all, it's about having a good therapist. But I think cultural matching, um, um, 
really helps at least particularly if you want to deal with certain issues and also if you've never had counseling before and you just want to see somebody who looks like you so it's a long-winded way of saying that was kind of my journey to frontline therapists that's kind of my expression to people as well um when they're asking about cultural matching i say look it's an important part it's not the most important part but if it's an important part to you then you have the right to ask for that and and get that if possible and i don't think there's that many services there isn't that many services is doing what I'm doing I want a very few so yes it's all about giving people the options and the power of choice yeah yeah it's brilliant I, I think everyone needs to check out frontline therapist thanks for Esther I think I've got the similar kind of um experience because the two sessions what well, the two sessions but the two times I've had therapy they've both been with um white females and the I've connected with them both but there's something in me that really still wants to experience having a black female therapist and I remember the first time I went to my first um counsellor she she was questioning me similar to like what you were saying Esther she said do you think that because I'm a white woman I don't understand what you're saying to me or that I can't empathize with you or can't give advice or things like that and, and I was like mm-hmm. how do I answer this she says, do you feel like because I'm a white woman, I don't have these kind of issues? You think I don't have issues with my partner? Or I don't have issues that when I go home, I don't feel this way or that way. And I was like, mm, could I answer it? You know, so it, <laughs> but so she was, and when I finished my 10 sessions with her, I cried because she was just, I loved everything about her. So mm. but there is still something in me that wants to try a, a black female therapist I think I could be like yeah girl do you know what I mean and we could really connect but I understand that that might not even actually necessarily happen I've even heard people say similar stories like what you were saying about your t- time with a black therapist where um, the vibe was just off and they did not <laughs> yeah was what do you think Jindy from your perspective on you know with the Asian community echo what you guys have said actually I you know, we're kind of calling out the fact that sometimes it's just curiosity to know whether we get something different from an yeah. provider. Not much different in the sense that, yes, it's our feelings, but it's just the not knowing mm. whether we get something different. I think that language is an issue for a lot of people are getting therapy because the person that needs to be getting the therapy isn't getting it, right? That's my kind of cliche assumption. So when I think about generational stuff, a lot of the times it's, you know, stuff that's handed down through parenting or things that need to be resolved. And, you know, language is a huge barrier. Forget not having options around, you know, whether you're black, brown or white. Sometimes it's about, I'm bilingual, I'm Punjabi. language Up until six, I only spoke Punjabi. I didn't speak any English. Because some people speak English and Punjabi or their second or third language a lot close. And so I in everyday sentences probably why it takes me longer to spit my words out that's not me trying to sound eloquent is that the words come to me in Punjabi first and then I search for the words in English at times not all of them but some of them and then I think when you're trying to make sense of your feelings and there's just a phrase that you want to be able to use and um I had I actually had a brown therapist after three failures with white therapists here's the thing I think that I had a lot of cultural aspects of me trying to rationalize excuse either things that were done to me or that I did and I was trying to hang it and hook it on culture and make excuses and whilst those white therapists are trying to help me understand that's not a thing and shouldn't be a thing I had it in my head that they were just judging my culture that they couldn't possibly understand right there's shame then then you get layers of shame and guilt you get shame attached to the fact that you're excusing things that you know not to be okay in mm-hmm. any future. And then you get the shame of your personal feeling about what happens and your experience of it. Right. Um, sorry, I'm going a bit deep now, but for me, that it was kind of like multi-layered. And then I had a brown therapist in the last six months, I'd say, and I expected so much and I never got what I wanted. <laughs> just you know it's unfortunate that's not necessarily a reflection of her but I didn't get any more or different and I go back I think it's about the experience you know Mm. I've read psychology I'm far from a therapist but dragging a chair chair out and trying to get me to disassociate 
and speak to my younger self was quite disturbing as an experience. I was like, wow, I really did just read the textbook before I walked in here, didn't you? There was no warning that she was going to do that. But I found it really amusing. And I don't even think it was a defense mechanism. I genuinely found it hilarious. And mm. I and it, then I got a little bit resentful. I was like, seriously, am I really going to pay 50 quid for this? Mm. Get a new hobby. I'm out, was what I was thinking. And mm. that's awful, but that's just, and maybe that was a lack of understanding. Maybe that was taking the pace of the counseling so, or the therapy too quick, too fast, lack of communication. But mm. I think we, there's something to be said. My, my message to people who are thinking about therapy would be stay with it and explore your anger. Why, why are you getting angry? Because it's, sometimes it's just mm. a fence up to say, I don't need this or this was rubbish. And actually, it's just another way of putting a fence up personally. That's what, that was my experience. Mm. And I think my brand people do that a lot. We find so many ways to put such good fences on. Mm. <laughs> I'm now commenting on behalf of the whole brown community as a girl who's growing up in Norfolk with no brown people around us. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Are you guys happy to for me to get into um, the Q&As? There's a lot of grief and outrage to other community members trying to have tough conversations, I hope with their children, parents, siblings, etc., about race and privilege. Um, there was obviously, like we've discussed, the devastating videos and pictures and stories of the horrific crime. Um, flipping that, I'm experiencing a huge amount of positivity, empowerment amongst the community and productive ways to travel emotion within the wider online community. I'm almost scared to be hopeful. I'm one of those cynics sitting on the fence thinking somebody somewhere is going to let this movement die. And I just won't get my hopes up too high. For whatever reason, that's the box that I fall in. So with that said, what can we do to look after ourselves during this journey? To recognise our needs, embrace them and meet them so we can continue to do the good work that started. What do you guys think? I'm all about self-care and uh, when to withdraw or when to switch off. And say, okay, this is enough now. And it's not because I'm not... Um, behind the movement it's not because I don't agree it's not because um I don't promote it or support it it's just because from my personal you have to be a bit selfish I think sometimes from my personal um mental health mental wealth I have to say not right now I'm gonna hit the pause button for a little while and then come back um Mm -hmm. yeah so that's how I've been surviving throughout this whole thing take it in Mm -hmm. little chunks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not feel um, guilty about it. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Because uh, I think uh, there was a, sorry, there was a time when no, was sort of like you had to, if you didn't say something, you had to say something, and if you didn't, and people were saying, "Oh, well, how come this person hasn't said something?" You almost felt guilty, like, "Oh my gosh, I haven't posted the black square." Oh, oh, I haven't, yeah. I haven't did it. It was just, it was a lot, and so I had to just completely take myself out of it and say, "No, switch mm-hmm. off." And don't be guilty. But yeah, sorry, Esther. Mm. Mm. No, I think um, you're right. I think you know high emotions. There was high. There, there is still, but there was definitely high emotions during the first few days and weeks um, of everything. Um, and I sometimes think the best decision is to to reflect and to think and to take time. Sometimes the first reaction isn't always the best. You know, you've got yeah. to take stock. Um, unfortunately, these things happen so often that it's really about thinking long term and not thinking about short term. And I think individually, sometimes it's very easy to feel powerless. You know, um, I always tell people that we're dealing with so many different things in the macroscopic level. You could be dealing with a divorce, you can be dealing with domestic violence, and then you're thinking about the macro and thinking, "Oh my God, of all the racism, <laughs> you know, that people are going through." And the reality is people are facing their everyday lives and facing yeah. the fact that they ain't working during COVID and, you know, they're trying to get their, the, the benefits, you know, all of this different stuff. So I think it's, like you said, it's really about self-care and about processing in chunks and only taking what you can and doing what you can and not feeling guilty about it as long as you are um, 
continuing a dialogue with yourself and with others around you and really trying to think differently, act differently. Um, I think that's the best that you can do. Still, you know, not everyone's called to be on the front line. Some people mm. are called, um, you know, it's like, you know, it's the whole idea of being a mother and just what what is just being a mother. Some people are mothers and that's all they do. And that's what they love. And that's an amazing thing because you're growing up um, amazing children. Um, and some people are CEOs of companies. It doesn't make the CEO better than the mother that that's all you know that's all kind of she does or or however you want to put it and I think it's the same thing there's some people that will that make their social media feed black in every way and you know post all of these stuff and there's some people that will go out um protesting some people will just be having dialogue with their children and making sure their children's don't um, have any, you know, racist ideas and beliefs. And I think they're just as, they're all just as powerful and they're all just as important as long as we're all um, trying to progress. So, um, absolutely, yeah, I think, I think that's what I would say. I think just take it in chunks and just begin a dialogue. Um, things don't change in a the moment. They don't change in an instant. It takes time. And it's about, you know, really thinking and reflecting and thinking about how can um, true change and long-term change um, happen, but also recognize your feelings of, oh, is that sometimes things are overwhelming and it's sometimes these things seem bigger than we are and mm-hmm. not to feel like you are Mohammed trying to push the mountain, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Take, the baby, take the steps, take the baby steps, you know, um, every day you're learning something new. This time next year, you're going to be in a different person, different space. So, um yeah, I think I, I like what you said, you know, recognise um, your needs, embrace them and, and meet them and everyone will meet them in different ways and everyone will embrace them in different ways. But you first have to recognise the issues. Um, and I think this is just about bringing awareness. We talked about social media before and a lot of it is about bringing awareness and in the awareness, you then begin that journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that discovery, um, learning how to be authentic, learning how to self-care for yourself, learning what is too much and what is too little, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that would be my contribution. Yeah. Why is turning to your friends and family for advice on issues potentially not enough? Because lots of people will be thinking, I can just go to my mate, I can go for a run, I can eat chocolate, I can go for drinks. Yeah. Um, I think it's because most of the time they can only see what you see. Um, They can only see just above the parapet that you can see. Um, And that's not always enough. Also, um, boundaries as well. Um, You're putting a lot of, you can be putting a lot of things on friends that find it difficult to carry. And also about containment, you know, some people are in distress. So how can they contain your distress? And I think it's, again, it's about the whole sense that everybody's an individual living their lives. So if you come to me as a good friend, but I could be going through my own issues, let's say yeah. with my partner, I'm now yeah. dealing with your issues and dealing with my issues, which isn't actually fair also on the friends and family. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, there's, there's other reasons, but I would just say level of containment of your distress um, the fact that they may not be able to see beyond your own parapet because sometimes I feel just as you and I can't say I don't know what to do then I, I don't know if you don't know I don't know either um, so mm. I think and also level of um, subjectivity and lack of objectivity um, so that's what I would say um, that it's not wrong to go to your friends but you might need more than that for more objectivity um, actual containment and also actual fairness because is it really fair for you to keep going to your friends and family and and giving them your stuff and then they're taking their your stuff and also their stuff right yeah. exactly that Mel yeah. anything you want to add to that um what I'm is about- I don't know if it's called playing devil's advocate, but I'm going to think sometimes, just sometimes, it is enough. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just that talk with a mate or that where you sort of put everything into perspective and it's, you know, it's not as big as it seemed. Mm -hmm. But um, I understand that sometimes that's very superficial and that is sort of like um, papering over the cracks. And with some issues, they re- they will resurface. So I don't think it's for everything, but for some things that can be enough. Mm-hmm. What about if you're feeling like you don't have the courage to reach out, to open up and be vulnerable? Um, and those that haven't spoken to a therapist yet, what is it? What advice would you give to somebody who, you know, hasn't quite found the courage or the taken the steps? 
This is a difficult one because I'm, I feel like I'm forever singing that same song from that hymn book. I'm telling people all the time, you know, just go and see a therapist because there's so much stigma attached to it where it's like, oh, with, within the black and brown community that only like mad people go to therapy, go to a shrink, what it used to be called, do you know what I mean? But right. um, I can only, I do promote it. But I just, I, I'm also, I'm also dumbfounded as, as how to encourage people to actually break through that barrier. For me, I think I was just more open-minded to it. And I think it was offered to me mm-hmm. as free sessions. So I do think the money side of it really puts people off. But there are, there are other ways you can get your foot in the door and experience it. And I think the idea that people in the black and brown community or definitely in the black community are telling people their business. They don't want people to know their business. Right. And I'm just like, so you're keeping all of this in your head and doing yourself real harm. It's sharing, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved. And it's about that kind of mentality and that kind of idea where you can be a bit more open-minded you're not telling someone your business you're just telling someone your thoughts mm. yeah I think that's a really good delineation I think money back to Esther's point makes a, does make a difference and, set, and you know yeah. and clicks for you Esther for setting something up that's more affordable in addition to giving choice around yeah. therapist's background and I want to go back to that piece around just going for an assessment you have nothing to lose yeah and I've left you, what advice would you give in your professional capacity to people who are not really feeling it with the current therapist? I'd say that um, going to therapy is not like buying a shoe, um, so it does take time. We have to also recognise that, you know, these people are humans and you just don't get on with everybody or you just don't click with everyone. Um, and sometimes that happens and it's fine. So it's about um, trying again and um, and kind of wait until you find that click, until you get that perfect shoe, until you get that fit. Um, but sometimes the work is within that. When you feel that this is not working, that is the work. Um, I've had a few instances where some clients have said, oh, I just don't think it's going to work. And I say, okay, why don't you bring that up? They bring that up and then I ask them, okay, you still looking to um, end? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. We talk it through. Um, because it was, it was, that was the therapy. The therapy, therapy is meant to be uncomfortable. Um, um, it's not always meant to be, you just feel good and warm and fuzzy. Sometimes you feel bloody, I feel worse <laughs> um, now than I came in because it's dealing with some deep, 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 deep things. Um, so that's what I would say. I would say, you know, first and foremost, if you can and you feel safe to do so, bring it up. You know, I think it's actually good to say, look, I just don't think this is working out. Mm-hmm. And that the response of your therapist will kind of confirm whether it's worth continuing or actually know it's better to find something else. So I would encourage to actually talk about um, your feelings um, about the situation, about it's not going well before you make a decision and then based on the response um, or how you work through that. But I would just say stick it out until um, stick it out, whether it's with the person or with somebody else, but don't give up until you find that thing. Sometimes most people, most of my experience in terms of the service that I have, um, 99.9% work out, but a couple of people, it just doesn't work out. And it's fine, and they find another and it fits, or they just don't find anything, and they go somewhere else, and that is fine too. Because so people, human beings are human beings. So that's what I would say to people. I would say to people, stick it out, um, stick the therapy out. Not necessarily with the person; you can always find somebody else. Um, but if the work is in the fact that you feel uncomfortable or you feel unsatisfied, then stick it out with that person because that is where the, the therapy is working. I love that. Yeah. Uh, my love of my life Denzel this morning um equalizer too and he said something I was like oh this would make for a great post talking about (laughs) people who do self-care through social media posts that's me and my inspiration is usually movies or Netflix so it's really (laughs) fascinating but he said something in this movie it was like there's two types of pain the really final pain of saying goodbye to somebody like a bereavement for example or grief and then there's the pain through growth and actually, I think that that's a type yeah. of that perhaps we all struggle to put our finger on at yeah. times. 
yeah. um, mm. experiencing through growth. Um, and then if you don't want Denzel to be your resource, you can actually head to Frontline Therapist online and check out the wellbeing ebook. So you are so generous. I downloaded that. It was brilliant. Um, on the website. And and I, I will say this again. I think you've been hugely generous on this podcast, yeah. breaking down, giving us so much of your time as a community, breaking down concepts, helping us to understand language, which can often go over our head. Um, and then the free resources and the triaging service that you offer at such reasonable rates is something that I would encourage anybody that's listening that is from a BAME background. I hate that term, but I'll use it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole new podcast. Understanding <laughs> 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 that if you're nervous, yes, there's a way you do always have your GP that you can call if you're feeling a sudden drop in mood and you need help or you think you need help and you don't know where to go. There is loads of advice available on the NHS website as well. And not forgetting the fact that you want to try something over the phone. And that's the beautiful thing about frontline therapists mm-hmm. and employee assistance programs through the employer. They're complete strangers who don't know you from Adam. So you can pick up the phone and see how you go. I was just picking up the phone. That's the advice I would give and just see what happens. Don't be beyond that. Don't think, what am I going to say? Let the other mm-hmm. man take the lead. Um, mm-hmm. Right, guys, I think that might be a wrap. Is there anything else you guys want to add? Because I know we've covered a huge amount. No, thank no, you. Yeah, it was really good. Thank you. I just feel like, um, again, it's a huge privilege having you both on. I think that there's a lot to be said for anecdotes and experience. And Mel, the, the richness of having reached out yourself um, and sharing that. So thank you for that as well. Um and yeah, um, don't forget to follow us people on our she page, awfully good waffle on Spotify. I'll be tagging Melissa and Esther on the uh, social media page, and we will speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye. 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 And now for the outtakes. Hi, Esther. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hi Melissa. Hello. 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 We were just talking about nerves and it's Mel's first podcast and she's saying she's nervous, if you don't mind me saying Mel. And I was like, I'm Hello. always nervous. How about you, Esther? Just excited, really. Good. Oh, wow. Excellent. <laughs> I love this. I love the yeah, energy. I, feel silly. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much for like joining us. I absolutely love every single post that you put up there, which is why I was so keen to get you on the podcast the goal is to get as much of this I'm thinking about going for therapy but I don't really know why and I can't put my finger on it kind of feeling mm-hmm. right through mm. I know it's overdue but as I appreciate that you're on in your capacity as a therapist and the founder of your business but is this all too common this kind of playing with it in your head before you ever take any action yeah um I always say um, going to counselling, it's not like buying a shoe. Um, mm-hmm. People toy with it um, for as long as they do. Um, I've, ass- I've assessed many people where I've assessed them, you know, let's say I assessed someone in November and they started in, they start actually in June. That could be because of financial reasons or just because at the assessment, it is a good, a good place to determine if you're ready to continue. That's why I tell people saying just have an assessment because, you know, at that assessment, you can then determine if you want to continue or, you know, you want to continue at a later date. Yes, I think it takes time. Um, It takes time. And sometimes it's just about getting all your ducks in a row. I think COVID made a lot of people like, okay, I think I've got to deal with these issues that I'm now facing because I'm actually thinking more. I'm actually (laughs) with people that I don't want to be with or people I want to be with but can't be with them properly, you know. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it takes time. It's not like, it can't, it's not like an impulsive buy. You see a nice shoe and you're like, oh, I'm going to get that. It takes a lot of time because a lot of effort is a financial commitment and it's a commitment to yourself. Yeah, so true. And for somebody who buys way too many trainers, not shoes, um, <laughs> I, I'm for somebody who's paid for therapy. I agree. And I'll tell you what, I'm one of I'm so I'm that woman that buys 120 pounds worth of clothes from ASOS, and the minute a delivery charge comes up for say 3.99, goes no, nope, the whole basket has to go. That 
that's, yeah. that's my kind of vibe. So when it comes to trainers that I just don't need, like I have a shelf full of them, I'll spend like nobody's business. Comes to spending a little bit of money on a session for therapy that I know is significantly overdue. And I'm debating it for the best past three months. Mm. I think we can all be a bit guilty of that. Sometimes you know what the therapy is going to draw out of you. And you just can't face it. Thank you for joining because the ability to say there's credibility behind what we're saying is so important. And it's like a really indirect nudge to people who are listening to say, don't get drawn in too much and just be wary of where you're going for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Social media is great as a platform for raising awareness, so long as we're getting the right info right. Yeah. Mm. Very funny you say that because the other day I was sitting with my neighbor and we were just scrolling, as you do on Instagram, mm. and the posts that were coming up, and we looked at each other, we both said the same thing at the same time. It's like everybody's a therapist now. Everybody is mm-hmm. now qualified in therapy. They're giving these little speeches and these little phrases to try and boost everybody's ego and, you know, pick up people's moods. I get it, but you need to be qualified. It's not something you can just throw out there and just think that people should be listening and taking, hanging on to your every word. It's, it's quite, it can be quite mistaken. Oh, I wasn't actually expecting us to hang up straight away. <laughs> He did have a nine o'clock and I was desperately trying to finish for nine. So I was I'll... like, okay, I think we pause and pretend that we've hung up. And then we yeah, just... <laughs> some people get it. Do you know my goodbyes? My goodbyes are never seamless. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if yeah. any of my, my previous pods, even with Seabass and Trish, you know, where we've got the banter and the relationship. They're like, yeah. oh, was I supposed to say bye then? And I'm like, yeah, you were. You know you were. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I'll say bye, ladies. And then I get yeah. so happy, I hang up on them. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, gosh. We did well. We've got two of us still on. How did you find that? Um, It was good. I, well, I, do you know what? I'm so conscious of the fact that it's recording. So I want to get my words out. But I'm always like that. And then I'm stuttering. And then I'm... Um, 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 so, yeah. But other than that, it was, it was okay. It wasn't as bad as I thought. I become... I'm so... Oh, come on. Have we met? I'm so specific, right? And pernickety. Yeah. <laughs> if you were doing, if you were doing that, you'd have had a WhatsApp by now. <laughs> well, my phone's on Do Not Disturb, so maybe oh, I do have well a WhatsApp. Well done. Clap for you for putting it on Do Not Disturb. I love that. That's like completely ticking Dindy's OCD boxes right oh, now. Please, <laughs> that the phone was the least of my worries. Those guys came bursting in. Darren was like, "Hi, did you hear him?" Oh, Arthur, Arthur, God's sake. <laughs> I love it. Oh, oh. I didn't hear it. I didn't I hear it the way you said it. So oh. I'm sure it'll be fine. And I'm I'm absolutely convinced by now I just over egged the whole noise thing. And actually, it's not as bad as I make out. So okay, it'll so. be fine, honestly. Because there was one time where Trish was like, can we just pause the recording, please? And then she went and told her sister off. And she's like, <laughs> noise. why are you shouting? What are you singing for? Can you stop singing, please? <laughs> like this. And we were like, babe, we couldn't hear her singing. So you really oh. have to do that. Just when you said about the break I thought thank god because I just was like put this phone down and go and tell these guys don't come up 